The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Well, thank you. Good morning, church. And thank you so much for that music. Wow. Actually, just thinking about it, um, I really think about that song that says, I will build my life upon your love, upon its firm foundations. That will preach right there. What an awesome time we just had as music gives glory to God and worships God. I invite you right now just to take some time and just say, God, who is the name? You are the the one that I want to give glory to and honor today. May my mind be prepared for what you have for in Scripture. So take a moment right now to do that. God, we surrender these next few minutes here. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for the promises we were just going through and singing about. But just let that be a thought and memory in our minds right now. This is such a privilege to be here with our church, going through your scripture. Thank you for giving us this opportunity that we can hear more from you. While uh, right now, take your Bibles or something, uh, device or something you have with the Bible, take it and we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 25 and 26 today. Also, I understand there might be a little a low level of coffee, so make sure you get, uh, fill that up if you need to, and I'll have my mug of water here to help us as we uh, look to study together on what God is calling us to uh, hear about today. So a bit of review, Genesis 24, we just found out, well we just read through the story of how Rebecca comes into this picture of the story of Abraham. What a, what a crazy event there at the well where the servant is pleading with God and as before he even stops, Rebecca comes into the picture. Just a great event of how God uh, provides for the ones who are searching and pursuing him. And so now we go into Genesis 25, and I actually just start with a just review of the first 18 verses here. We've got a lot of things to cover as it's a story in these two chapters, but I just want to go through some of these things that I'm, I, even I found as reading about it that it, it, I was learning new things for myself. So Genesis 25, Abraham, it starts with Abraham marrying another wife, another woman who gives birth to more children. Uh, he gave everything he owned to Isaac. So Isaac is the inheritance. Isaac is, will be the next uh, person in line that takes Abraham's position. And so he's giving everything uh, to Isaac. He also gives gifts to his other children and sends them away. So there's people that go farther to the east. And you'll see here in a second with Ishmael. Um, Ishmael had 12 sons as well. Uh, that was something new that I really, didn't, I really didn't catch before as I was reading through the, uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, he settles in a place east of Egypt. So uh, what modern day probably was Saudi Arabia, what we know. And so in that area, Ishmael and 12 sons, he has 12 sons and they settle in that area. But of course it ends with, they were quarreling with each other. And so as they lived, uh, when you have 12 sons, I'm sure there's a little bit, just a little bit of competition there. But um, that just gives the ending to that story of Ishmael. And 
now we read at 175 years old, Abraham dies. Isaac and Ishmael are both there to bury Abraham, which is very interesting as Isaac was the second born, but he is the one taking position of Abraham. And Ishmael's there, they bury him, and they go their separate ways. There's no hostility, what we see, what we uh, read. And so now we get to uh, the story, the epic journey of Isaac, who is now stepping into this. And 26, chapter 26, when, when we'll get there, it is a chapter that is kind of taken out of this timeline in Genesis 25, and now it'll, it'll uh, highlight what's going on. So um, in chapter 25 here in 26, we have, we are seeing questions that appear. And so Isaac on his journey, he's wondering about faith. What, what am I doing? What, what's the next thing to do? What's my position? What's my responsibility? All these questions that we have all had. But now as a Christian, or maybe you're not a Christian, and maybe, you're, maybe this is the first time at this church or visiting, and um, we welcome you guys here, but think about questions that will call on someone to help you in times that of need. So first question I see is, God, when are you going to intervene? Second question, God, are you still here? And third question, God, can I still trust you? Think about those, think about if you've ever asked those questions as a Christian, or as, even as a non-Christian. Think about how those times of life, uh, when maybe you've asked these questions. And so now we're going to take a time to look at how God answered these questions for Isaac. So the story of Abraham resembles the story of Isaac found in chapter 25 and 26. If you go back to the chapters that we've gone over, it's many similarities There's, uh, with their testimony of faith. We want to focus on how Isaac navigates through the years as he steps into the role of patriarch. So patriarch is just the position that Abraham holds right now. He's the father of this group of people. But the patriarch has way a greater responsibility as well for all the family. So for himself, that's that responsibility, but now he gets to decide who's married, who goes where, who's doing the job, who's the manager, and so he'll use his family, so his children, to, as they grow up, they'll be managers or supervisors, or however they were set up, but the patriarch, every, all the decisions came through the patriarch as he led his family following God. And so this is a huge responsibility and different position from just being the son that has that one day idea. And now that day has come. So how, how does Isaac respond to this uh, position? One would think that everything should be all right. You know, you've got the power. You have the power over your siblings. Uh, uh, you can tell them what to do, all these things. But no, it's, it's a position that presents itself to Isaac in saying, I need to follow God more. I need to listen to God more. But we will see how this reveals, this transition reveals a dysfunctional family that God is working in and God is working through to display his glory. So let's take a look at the first question. So God, when are you going to intervene? In verse 21, in chapter 25, in verse 21, um, we see Isaac already talking with God, well, yearning with God. So at age 40, he got married to Rebekah. And so, well, let's look at uh, verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and, Re and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So for 19 years, Rebekah can't get pregnant. 
So we just see that Isaac's praying, but the fact that he's pleading, he's praying to God, he's asking God, God, when are you going to show? When are you going to intervene? I can't do this, I'm doing my part, but when are you going to intervene? Let's remember who Isaac is. He's the one that Abraham and Sarah were waiting for. He's the one that Sarah was hoping for, but then she intervened and tried to make something work on her own ability. Something happened, but it wasn't what God was, uh, was preparing them for. This truly, uh, Isaac was born of God, born, and God promised Abraham that the line through Isaac would be blessed with abundant life throughout generations to come. So in the Bible, we see the Abrahamic covenant has been established. And yes, we've talked about this in the weeks past. Isaac's also the one that was there with Abraham on the mountain, building the altar, and he got on himself. His, his dad tied him down. And that was, that was uh, in chapter 22, that was a moment that Isaac saw God intervene. So I believe that Isaac remained inquiring and pleading with God because of the lessons learned from his past. There are so many times we want to have God intervene on our timing. We act all honorable and choosing because, okay, that's my first. My go-to is, okay, act, you know, be with God, want God uh, to intervene now, and I, I know the way. But what if it goes for a longer period of time? How does our feeling towards each day waking up, God, you, you are the one I'm calling on you to intervene now? Isaac and Rebecca were taking about 19 years to be doing this, for, but for a short time, and when it becomes too much, uh, like a COVID situation or an isolation situation, we are calling on God to intervene on our behalf. Maybe the problem is what we need to sit in and be uncomfortable, because that will give us a better perspective of God's work and love in our life. I think when conflict comes into our life and we were given ourselves and following God and when we, we feel con conflict or something's happening that we didn't expect, our go-to is, well, maybe I'm not following God's will. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not doing this. This uh, guy named John H. Salehammer, he writes in his commentary, the point is not that the struggles were necessary for the accomplishment of the will of God, but rather that God's will was accomplished in spite God wills us accomplished in spite of conflict. So the conflict, that can be connected, but it also is don't just throw everything up and say, okay, I guess that wouldn't work. There's too much conflict. Maybe there's moments here that God is saying, this is my will being played out. Stay with me. Keep praying. Keep pleading as I'm working in you. Just because there is hardship in following God's will, know that the greatest thing that we can do as Christians is to desire more of his will to bring life and fulfillment to us and the ones we love and care about. So, Rebecca's pregnant. So who are these babies? And I'm going to take uh, just a brief time to discuss this, these next set of verses. But I think it's really, I love that the author kept this uh, question of Rebecca in verse 22. Why is this happening to me? Maybe it came from a, from a place of, God, you, are you a good God or not? This is what I'm fulfilling, this promise. Why is it taking this many years? Why is it taking this many days? Why is this happening to me? So in verse 23, let's, let's take a look at that. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your room, 
and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So Esau, Esau and Jacob are twin brothers who are already fighting with each other in the womb. Uh, clearly competitive brothers right from the get-go. Esau described as practically the Viking, Seamus. You know, like he's red, he's hairy. The guy comes into the world ready, he's geared up, ready to go. Uh, he seems to be a hard worker. Jacob is more of this, he's described as, as Esau is already out, he's grabbing the heel of Esau. No! He got there first. But Jacob is described as a quiet-tempered man. He is a stay-at-home kind of guy, and realizing that from time of his birth, he knew that he was number two on the physical scale compared to Esau. Like, clearly, he had that uh, in front of him each and every day, and I'm sure, this is me, but I'm sure that brother made sure that he knew that as well, but maybe that's just my opinion. But it says in verse 26, he is, it shows that Jacob is cunning from the very start. In verse 28, this, the author puts this in the verse, and it's, it, it kind of hurts. It, it, I don't know why this happened. And so from our point of view, Isaac loves Esau because of the meat he hunts and brings home, but Rebekah loved Jacob more than Esau. We will talk about this more in the passage to come, but take note of this verse, because that's, that's the trouble. There's trouble there. Favoritism is in the family, and, but why? And that's a, good, that's a question as we read that. From verse 29 to verse 34, we have this now interaction between these two brothers. Jacob devises a plan to gain the birthright from Esau. He took it in his own hands to intervene on his behalf, bypassing God's already promise that Esau would serve him one day. We just read that in the verses, that the, the older shall serve the younger. We don't know if Rebekah said it. We, we don't understand what went on there. But Jacob takes his time to say, I'm going to intervene on my behalf. This is, I can't look at Esau anymore. I'm going to do it now. So here's a collision of two people. One has no respect for place and position and family, and the other does. It's a, it's a mosh pit of self-gratification with instant and preconceived manipulation. So Esau, in this, in this part of the verses, he comes in from the hunt. He comes in from work. I'm famished. I need food now. Jacob's like, oh, really? I just had this red stew available for you, uh, sniff that out, you know, and so he's, he's about to give it to, Jay, uh, to Esau, but then he says, hey, sell me your birthright. Esau's like, birthright doesn't help me right now, I'm hungry, I need food. So Jacob says again, swear to me, you're going to sell it, you're going to give it to me. Esau goes, okay, that's fine, good, I'm hungry. What is Birthright. We may have that idea already as well as we've heard that and um, clearly it's a sign of the, the generation from parent to child. Birthright, as John Davis writes, um, the birthright is in this case Jacob and Esau. So if uh, Isaac and Rebekah, Isaac had passed away right then, the inheritance would be now in three parts instead of two. The birthright, the firstborn, is given the two parts of it while the secondborn would be given uh, one. So clearly, the one who has birthright is given more from the inheritance that will be shared to children. Now, today's world, we don't really have that. We have, it's usually split up with, well, um, most of the time. It's thought of, okay, my parent has passed away. 
what is inheritance, what, it is, uh, what does it look like for our family. And so Jacob, I think, saw an opportunity and thinking, okay, I can gain that birthright from Esau because he has no respect. So clearly there was already uh, an idea that Jacob knew that Esau would give that up because what a question. <laughs> hey, you're hungry. Give me your birthright. You know, that's, that's, that's not a, just a random question. This was, he thought about how this can work and if it, if it would work. So we're given this window into Esau and Jacob's start to know how this dysfunctional family operates. They follow an all-human conquest, uh, literally, to get what's mine, to avoid conflict whenever I can. I mean, that's human conquest when we look at it, wherever we are. But here, tradition dictates positions in family, and more so as Jake, for Jacob, as God has made him ruler of the family over Esau. So why didn't he wait for God to intervene? Wouldn't it be great, right now, in hindsight, as we're reading this, we could go back and just tell people, wait on God, wait. Let him intervene, let him do it. Don't do it on yourself. Sarah, stop, stop. Sarah, I know it hurts right now. Stop, wait for God. He, he promised it to you. Abraham, don't listen, wait on God. Jacob, buddy, don't do this. Wait on God. God will intervene and be your peace. And the ending of this, of this chapter is just a confirmation of how Esau looks at this position that he could have, technically, he could have one day as the firstborn, thinking, wow, this is, a great, I, this is a great opportunity for me to be a part of the family, help, lead, whatever I can do to um, help this family survive and thrive. But he despises, like he despises his birthright. He despises that. He thinks a good meal is more, worth more than his position. I don't know how, why he would hate something so precious and life-fulfilling for anyone to accept and step into that responsibility. So if you are a Christian, if you're not a Christian, and you're hearing this right now, know that Jesus Christ did not use his birthright to be the lone benefactor. He came to this earth to wait on, the God, on God the Father's will for his life. He knew from the time of his birth of who his real father was. And at age 30, God the Father led him to be baptized. He waited for the Father to lead him into his ministry and work on earth. Jesus took his birthright and shared it with all believers in the God of Abraham and Isaac. God calls them his children who will share in joy and inheritance of being a part of the family of God on earth and in heaven. This birthright, this opportunity for someone to step in that place and, and take on new accountability, new responsibility. Jesus was the one that shared it with all. He didn't keep it for his own and the, and the, the treasures and the joy of being with God. He wants all the people to be God's children and sharing that inheritance. When I'm thinking about Birthright, I was thinking about the show on Netflix, The Crown, and I really, Jill and I have been watching this show and just seeing how, just the stories of Queen Elizabeth and how she views Queen Elizabeth and how she views The Crown. And the, and the, and the series just takes that, these moments where she's asked these questions, she's 
faces these challenges, and she struggles with a lot of insecurities from the past, but there's also this idea that it's this, it's this another position. It's not me, but I'm called to it. I want to be a part of that. And how does that look in the struggle that takes place? There's the relationship between her and her sister, uh, Margaret, that it's interesting to see that struggle that we so, all of us can really relate to. And, and so as that responsibility comes to us, as comes to Esau here, he wants nothing of it. So now we want to look at chapter 26, which starts with a famine in the land. So people become refugees seeking help where there is a friendly nation. God tells Isaac not to go to Egypt because this is not the land where he guided his father Abraham. God led, leads Isaac to the place where Abraham has already invested in. And we see that in wells. So water, wells in the, in the desert, wells in the land. Abraham has already gone ahead uh, in the past, had come and dug wells. And uh, clearly that was uh, somewhere where he invested in. But even so, Abraham is not there anymore. Isaac is to lead and be decisive to follow God's will. He's not perfect, not perfect, and will make mistakes. But he embraces now that position of patriarch. He embraces that with his family. So here's the second question that I see. God, are you still here? So now I'm, he steps into this position. God, are you still here? Even I believe in you, but are you still here? There's this yearning to feel uh, satisfied and knowing that God's with you. Isaac's crying out for that. So let's start in re- verse, uh, verse 2. We'll read to verse 5. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Here now, as Isaac has taken this position... God now speaks the same promises that he spoke to his father. Now he takes that and says, I'm with you. This is what's happening. I see you as this leader. I see you as this person that I've set up. Here are all the promises that I give to you. Here's the covenant I made with your dad. I'm also now giving it to you. What a, what a moment for Isaac. But here, in the circumstances though, we, we see in verse 3, he's a foreigner in a new land. Sojourn means to live. So God says, live here. That's fine. Don't worry about that. My promises are with you. But this reveals a future, an uncomfortable living for a time. How long it, how long it lasts, he doesn't know. But this is a new land for Isaac. But just as God promised Abraham... God keeps his promises and gives the blessing to Isaac. I love that God just establishes that with Isaac. I keep my promises, Isaac. I keep it. My covenant is with you. Verse 4, I will give your descendants to all these lands. Isaac might not see this happen. In fact, he won't see all these promises come to fulfillment. But now he's living for legacy. He's living for fulfillment. He's, He's living for that promise to keep on going with his family. 
Legacy is what we parents would love to have our children grow in and fully become. This might be a prayer of yours, might be a prayer of the parents and grandparents. What we want for our kids, what we want for our grandkids to live in that legacy of following God. Verse five, because of the faithfulness of Abraham, God blesses the generations to come because of faithful parents who live following God and leading others to God's glory and will. And so verse six is just a really short, uh, short verse, but it just says, Isaac, so Isaac settled in Gerar. Isaac plants in a foreign land. This could mean disaster for many different people, but he is now reassured of this covenant being passed down to him and so embraces this position to lead this dysfunctional family. How do you find God to reassure you of his presence in your life? Do you look to scripture? Do you listen to messages that teach you more about the Bible? Interacting with family and friends, gleaning wisdom and the how-tos from them. I found out that our youth group is seeing and feeling God's glory through this COVID time. So our youth group is called For His Glory, 4HG, and we've been wanting to keep that at the front of our talks, of our time together, to say, guys, we can do whatever here, but what is God doing in your life right now? What is, how is his glory being shown to you? And I got, we got some great answers from youth. I loved it. We heard about how nature has just been a new atmosphere, a new opportunity to experience God. We learned about uh, birds. There's bird watchers in our group. <laughs> All right, way to go. We got bird watchers, and they just said, this is, this, for some reason, I just, I thank God for that even more. And see, that's, these are moments like that where we gotta, you gotta be real with yourself. And, Am I even trying to find God's glory? Am I even trying to see it? We found people that are starting to read the Bible. Literally, people, youth are just picking up Bibles now and reading it and just, just eating it all up, just wanting to know more. I love that. That was so blessing. It was a blessing to me to hear that as God is working in them. God is showing them new things about this world. How has God's presence changed your perspective in the hard times, in good times? This is what builds faith as it puts flesh it puts it into a physical reality of our beliefs and foundation those are the most genuine moments as life takes on hard work conflict reconciliation and peacekeeping we adjust we can adjust our external as god changes the internal with the stronger faith so these next set of verses this is as isaac so he has the promises now you're still here okay you're still here There's still now this step, right? There's still now this what's next coming up. And we see here how Isaac can falter. (laughs) He makes a mistake. So I'll just summarize the next uh, five verses here from 6 to 11. But he's in the land of Philistines, but God uses non-believers to also reassure Isaac about his promise. So Isaac has leading his family. He's got his beautiful wife Rebecca with him. Um, he fears for their life and safety, so he says, hey, this is my sister, so we're good, right? And so uh, Abimelech is the king, he's the Philistine king, and he's in the land, and he asks that question, and so he's like, oh, okay, sure, yeah, she's your sister, okay, sure. And so it just talks about how uh, there was a day when Abimelech sees Isaac and Rebekah, and it says here that uh, they were laughing with each other, but I'm sure that could mean they were just flirting or whatever it was. And Abimelech is like, 
that's not your sister. That's, <laughs> why would you lie to me? So there's a, there's a confrontation there that even Isaac's like, ah, why did I do this? But, but uh, after that, Abimelech says, look, you could have just told us the truth. No one's going to touch you. No one will hurt you. You are welcome here. And what a humbling moment for uh, Isaac in that time. And so again, we see how God intervenes for Isaac after a fault that God is with Isaac and intervenes for him. Verse 12, this is what I love. And Christians, we love to hear these promises. We love to hear these, these opportunities that we can experience God. But it also comes to a point where you have to believe. Your faith has to lead you to the faith that this is a God of miracles. We can't explain miracles. That's the thing. I think that's why we tend to stay away from them. But God is a God of miracles. You can say that. You can say, God, work a miracle in my life. I don't, I don't know what that means or where it means. But I need a miracle to happen because I, I don't know what to do. So here in verse 12... Isaac experiences the God of miracles. He plants similar to the Philistines in land. So here's a crop of, by the Philistine farmer. Here's another crop of land. And then here's Isaac's because he's living and no one's, there's no harm going on. There's no help. He plants just as any farmer would in that region. And clearly, he, you know, he's making sure that it's the right way to do it. And it just says that God, when it came time for harvest, God, God multiplied his crop a hundredfold. Like, clearly, it wasn't Isaac to do it. He wasn't, had this new fertilizer from Home Depot that he was spreading around. Like, it's not, it wasn't that. It just, it says God did that. He reaped, because part of his promise to Isaac was, you will last. Your, your family will last. I will be with your family. I will take care of them. You don't need to worry about those things. I will be with you. And so, with the work that's put in, God just says, boom. There's a hundredfold. This is a God of miracles. I... It doesn't mean say Isaac was, you know, Isaac was with him, but he, it's not like he's doing this prayer and thinking and doing all the stuff. He just planted as a farmer would and taking care of his family, and God said, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to produce a hundredfold, better will yield. So I worked for uh, an orchard farmer in, uh, in Ontario. This is where I grew up. Um, and so I understand as workers of the field or of the, of the crop, uh, when you hear... Someone else having a better yield, you know, you can start making excuses that, oh, well, you know, this is what, uh, the soil over here. You can, you can find ways to um, cover up maybe why we don't have it, but in all reality, it, it's like, oh, that's too bad. Like, that, I wish that would have been for our crop. And, and of course, I, uh, I, loved my, I loved my boss. I loved working for him and just learned so much on the farm. But, you know, when those times of, Oh, this could be shocked. Like, no one else had this harvest. No one else had it. And they're like, why, why would Isaac have that? Philistines started getting mad. They were embarrassed. They were, who's this foreigner that comes to our land and now embarrasses us on how, what we do and how we, could, how we should grow it? They literally start, they, they start going after Isaac. They become, as said, and jealous, enraged that this would happen. And tell, tells Isaac to get lost, get out of here. But God is still here with Isaac. When God reveals his presence in your life, how long does that peace last? So God said, I'm still with you, Isaac. But now Isaac looks and says, all this conflict is at me. How long does God's presence last in your life as, as, as a peace? 
The greatest thing we can do is always, in every day, learn how to be in awe of God. Pastor Doug Friesen just sent me a verse the other day, and it's found in Hosea chapter 6, verse 3. Let us know, let us strive to know Adonai, that he will come is as certain as morning. He will come to us like rain, like the spring rains that water the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, the gospel, the good news, is that God is with us. We get to be in his presence. We get to watch and have a front row seat to his glorious and majestic work in this broken and corrupt world. He reveals his heart and will through the different means. His work sets the captives free, heals people, transforms their broken minds, and redeems the lowliest of them all. He gives life to the lifeless, lifts the depressed and anxious heart to fix their eyes on him and not on broken systems that will fail them. This is God with us. But even as we are assured of God's presence time and time again, we are now to take a step out. We are now to take a step that says, okay, with this promise over me, this is the first step out. And we see how Isaac, he's learning how to do it. That first step, it's a doozy. Uh, <laughs> it's good, I hope. I understand where that's from. But it becomes another faith question. So the third question, God, can I still trust you? God, can I still trust you? I, f I failed, though, that first step. I, I didn't do well. I, I don't want to do it. I'll just stay over here. I'll just, I, I won't do that anymore. So Jill and I, Jill, my wife, and I have poured over this question for the past couple of years. In the pleading that our thoughts and convictions are from God, we searched through God's word and gleaned whatever wisdom we could about stepping out on our God-centered conviction. It seems easy on paper, but when we realize that we are being called to something good from something good, it is hard to trust at the start. It's, it's hard to trust. From what God has prepared in our hearts, we are excited to be planting churches in the near future. We have been through training and assessment and all the while testing to make sure this is from God. We will be planting a church site here in Winnipeg. This is a village church, in, they're based in BC right now, and they have a vision to plant churches across Canada. And so we approached WRBC staff about this months ago, and they have been so encouraging as they walked with us, this with us in prayer and support. It all started with conviction, but could we still trust in God and the vision he was creating in our soul and spirit? That was tough to do, and even right now, I don't know every detail. I certainly did not see this COVID thing happening. But the way that God's presence helped Jill and I realize what's the next step for our family. His presence and his ability to speak to us in different ways through different people and through a loving um, environment through a loving people all around us, our community. Uh, this is why we have, we're taking this at June 30th, will be my last day here, and I will be, uh, Jill and I will be uh, looking to uh, plant a uh, site here in Winnipeg sometime in the future with Village Church. But now, as we come back to uh, the chapter here, 
Isaac has learned an early lesson to surrender to God his words and work. And a young leader watches God's creative, miraculous work. What those songs again that we sung today, how powerful that is to surrender those, these moments to God. So now uh, in verse uh, 12 and 14 and 15, so this is just going over the, the things that um, we were just talking about, how Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. So now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells. So the, the wells that are dug here, after Isaac is, is hated on, after Isaac, the word spreads about that um, we keep moving that guy out of here, we don't want him a part of it. Um, this is hundreds of people, this could be hundreds of people that are with Isaac in the family. Flocks, cattle, all these things, they, they got to move a whole bunch of things. And so now you're looking, Isaac's looking for these wells that are, will supply nourishment, will, will keep this family going. So here uh, we see how Isaac goes to the wells, but now he, he goes to them and the Philistines have covered them up and th- thrown dirt in there, have filled them up with dirt so they're not usable. And so there's, a, there's uh, the well here called Esek and Sitna. Uh, these are verses that are coming up, uh, or sorry, in verse 20 and 21. But this is after um, Abimelech, king. He just admits it, he goes, you're too powerful. You're, you've, you've embarrassed us. We, we don't want you here because we just look bad. Get out. Get out of here. And just do that so we don't have to go to war. Or, you know, I think Abilmich is saying, just do it before stuff gets way too uh, hyped that you need to just leave with your families. And so as along the path, they are realizing these wells have been filled up. But here we go. Isaac has... Full right. Let's, give, let's, let's, let's look at reality here. Isaac has full right in the eyes of context and culture that he can defend himself in whatever means he thinks. These are his wells. This is his. This was Abraham's, but now it's his. And now Philistines are filling it up. So clearly there's, there's wealth. That we just read that there's wealth. Isaac has a lot of wealth in flocks, in materials, in food, in whatever. Like, it just, he was a wealthy man. Literally, he could have full right to build an army, say, to, to, uh, to build a siege. What, he, could, he could outlast Philistines. So why not defend with the threat of war to provide for his family? So given that culture, what do you think you would do? Wouldn't you do that if that was in, within your right to? To uh, defend what is yours and what has been promised and given to you from God? But just because we have the right to, is it following by faith? Just because we have the right to as Canadians, we have such a great country here that gives us our rights. Think about the sports team, the club, the committee, the, the group, the church, the, uh, the, the grocery store we want to shop at. Eh, that's my right. I can choose that. I can take on more. Or I can just leave when I want to. There's full right to that, and that's, and that's fine. That's Canada, and we, we thrive in that, in this environment. But just because we have the right to, you still need to ask, is this following God, though? 
The response comes in verse 22. Isaac just keeps moving in a peaceful way. No dispute over this land. Verse 23 and 25. I love this picture. And this took time for me to really understand what is happening here. But think about the, the moment that Isaac is going through, like crying over, I have so many people that I'm leading. What do I do here? Are we, are we just getting shunned out and literally left out to dry? This, this stress and the idea of responsibility and accountability must have been huge for Isaac at this time. So he goes away, though, in verse 23. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant's sake, for my servant Abraham's sake. Isaac heads to a place, don't know how far, but uh, he heads to this place, and God appears to him. He just, he needs to get away for a bit. What do I do, God? I don't know what to do. And so, there again, that reassurance of the promises of God, that Isaac takes this time to just say, I need to be with you, God. The picture of Isaac setting up his tent to remain in the presence of God. His trust grows in God. His self-image decreases and God's image increases. As he surrenders those choices to God, he is led to dig another well uh, in this moment of time. This sets up what peacemaking steps can be used for God's redeeming and reconciling work. After surrender, we see Abimelech sees the power in those steps of peace. Even though there was right to bring war, Abimelech saw the glory of God and his strength. So in verse 27, Isaac asks a question. He sees Abimelech and the commander of the armor coming, coming towards him. And he says, he, he talks about how in verse 27. Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away with, from you? Like, you clearly have made this problem. Why are you coming to me? What, what's going on? I, I, I let, I'm, I'm taking those steps away from more, from more hatred. What an amazing uh, thing that Abimelech says. We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. This could be your approach in, to conflicting people in your life. Maybe for this moment in time, let actions speak louder than words to defend your rights and identity. So you have a right to, but this is, this is the approach that we can say, God, let your, faith, let your reconciling work be what is shown here then you get the glory, and then you can deal with it, because I can't anymore. This is what we want to hear from people around us, that not our work, but something about it is of God, and I want to know him more. If people can see God's plan and work through our not perfect, dysfunctional life, then the step to surrender becomes easier and easier. The very action that broken people can see what holiness is, is the miracle itself. The fact that we can live in his presence is all the reason we need to desire a deeper and stronger faith. At the end of verse 29, Abimelech says, you are now the blessed of the Lord. Isaac throws a party. It's like, this is, this is a huge weight off my shoulder. Oh, he throws a party. He invites these guys that were just spewing hate on him. He invites them in, and now friendship is restored. 
The next day, Isaac sends them away in peace and not in chains. Isaac sends him, them away from war and battle, from now exchanging oaths, saying, hey, we're always going to be buds. We're always going to be uh, friends. There's peace between us. Parents, grandparents, graduates, what example are you setting for people in your life? What example are you setting for your friends? What example are you setting for children? Jesus, God the Son, had all the right to silence his accusers and haters while he stood on the trial for blasphemy. During his life there were so many times Jesus would give a statement to silence the critics. They would literally just walk away because of their embarrassment. They, they didn't know how to respond to Jesus in, when we're reading the Gospels. It happened over and over, and yet when his life is at death's door, he chooses to take steps of peace to follow God the Father's will for his life. This is a part of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God the Father, Jesus knew God the Father required death to atone for sin, to cover sin, to wash sin away. Jesus took the steps that made peace between God and man once again. His death fulfilled the requirement and his resurrection fulfilled the new covenant that man can now be in true communion with the Almighty God. This is the will of God, that every person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved from sin and take part in the joy of knowing and seeing God's glory on earth and in heaven. That is the salvation. That is the reconciling, redeeming work that God the Father wants with all of us, wants us all to know, wants us all to Ask the questions, well, God, how do I know that this is going to happen? Where are you? How, can I still trust you? Well, the work's already been done for us here in 2020. We can go on that. Today, there could be that new dialogue you have with God himself. This is, this, today could be the day that you could give your life to God and say, I surrender these things to you. So sadly, in the last verse, in chapter 26, it just leaves this weird feeling of Esau and what he's trying to do. Esau takes on two wives from the Hittite, another country, and clearly just shows that this dysfunctional family will keep going on here. And yet, what we just read, God works, shows up, reveals himself uh, to this family. Questions lead to stronger and deeper faith. The whole point of this is that we see Isaac's testimony of faith, his story of how faith in God is what held his dysfunctional family together. They survived internal fighting and literally famines in the land. Isaac led his family following, by following God more closely. Questions like, God, are you going to intervene? Are you even still here? Can I still trust you? Surrender these questions. Christian or not a Christian. Surrender these questions to God. It's going to test the Holy Spirit. It'll, it'll put that out there saying, Holy Spirit, this is what I'm struggling with right now. This is what I need. What will you do? It'll reveal work that's doing in you and to those around you. How about us realizing what's in front of us? Right now, the ble that is a blessing. Whether it's conflicting or not, this is good for us to walk through this and put more dependence on our talks with God, our requests, and our focus on the one who is a God of miracles in our eyes. Think about 10, 20 years from now, looking back, how did we spend this time in isolation? How do we spend this time that just rocked 
everybody's schedule, flipped it on, on its head, what would we see? I surrender to, to you, God. I surrender to the moments that you want me to experience and the things that you want me to learn. Would you see that you are more talkative with God now? Every day, it just becomes easier to do. Do you tell him more of what you are facing and need help? Is it more about him providing proof that he exists? I've taken some time to, like many, I, by now, this is what, week nine or something of COVID, I should have been bilingual by now. I should have had all my investments taken care of. Uh, I should be uh, planning all these, yada, yada, you know, all these things that I was gonna plan to do. I said, Jill, this is what's gonna happen. Guess what, I'm not bilingual. I, I know a little bit more Spanish, but uh, my investments, things like that, finances, things like that, um, they've changed, but uh, that's not, you know, over nine weeks. See, this is what happened, the goals happened. What do we really want to see? And I realized as I'm taking time to read about all these things and to watch videos, I've been neglecting time with God. This opportunity just opened up and I've been thinking, oh, okay, there's a, there's a gate for me to go through. But I, and now I had this time to prepare this sermon and it just hit me as it's preaching to me, just saying, wow, those times when I just ask questions to God and say, God, yeah, uh, take this, I, I need your help right now. Finances, God, how's this going to work? He's answered quickly and he's let about three months go by without knowing what the next step was. My job, God placed the conviction on my heart in university about church planning. And now 11 years later, he finally has said, this is the step, this is the first step. Family, there's still unanswered questions that I wake up each day knowing my responsibility to them. I, I want, every time they step in a vehicle without me, every time they uh, meet new friends that I hope support them in their life, every time um, I'm, I'm away from my family, at least a thousand kilometers apart from one another, the thought of me being injured or sick that takes me from being at home and re, in an, or in a recovery center, and many other fears as a family member, did I take this time now to really let God really speak into those fears as a husband, as a son, as a father? I'll say this though, I believe Isaac had one of the greatest perspectives of God in the Bible. He knows the true test and building of faith comes in the preparation of a sacrifice. He was the one who carried the stones up the mountain for the altar in chapter 22. He, was, he helped carry the sticks for the fire and made sure the rope was there to tie down the sacrifice. So I, I know this is in chapter 22, but I think talking about questions and seeing it, I think this question is so needed in your life right now. He asked, he asked his dad, all the stuff is here. Where is the sacrifice to sacrifice it? Maybe you have been asking, what more can be sacrificed, God? What more can I do? What else is there? I don't have much left. My hope is run dry. My care, I, my caring for others is at an all-time low. And my life is dysfunctional from what I expected it to be. Isaac then laid on the altar following dad's instruction. 
And then God provided the sacrifice. God is not in the business of just sacrificing animals just because. It was part of a plan that showed who people were following. But man, when he looks at the preparation that someone takes to really think on, I'm giving this to you, I'm surrendering this to you, that's what God wants to see. That's where God, that's where faith grows. If I just gave Jill flowers on Mother's Day and just gave them, I've, I've talked about this example, I've, I just laid it at her feet or on the table and said, well, it's Mother's Day and they told me to buy some flowers, so be happy. <laughs> Jill would be like, ah, no, thank you. That's not the point of why I'm receiving these flowers. It's the fact that I thought about it. It's the fact that I that I took time to prepare what I need to do to have that gift ready. So the gift is important, but it's the way faith is built is in the preparation, is in realizing when Isaac laid himself on the altar, I surrender to this moment, God. I surrender to you. So what is your sacrifice today? What needs to be surrendered to hear God clearly and let him reveal to you his glory that transforms hearts and minds? God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this chapters. Thank you for how you lead in us. Holy Spirit, we need you to be loud right now. We need you to speak boldly in our lives. God, we love you. We give this time to you right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Lord God, thank you for meeting us here today and thank you for the reminder again that this life is about you and not about us. There's a relief in us knowing that this life is about the kingdom that you are building. It is not about our own kingdom. And we can trust that you will build your kingdom. And I thank you that we get to spiritually be part of a kingdom that you are building. Help us to trust you. Help us to look for you. Help us to enjoy you. Help us to worship you. Bless each one as we go from here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.